Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. It's another night, impactful night of education leadership, episode 47. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone Third. Tonight's panelists are Nina Taylor, Eric Coit, Charles Big C. Codwell, and the legendary Cindy Moncrief. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to the people. Hello. Hello, everyone. Big C. Hello everyone, Coach Moncrief. Hello, this is Eric Cork. All right, all right. Well, tonight's topic is stormproofing historically black colleges and universities moving forward. Leaders of historical black colleges and universities, HBCUs for short, say they are being hit by unique challenges as the coronavirus pandemic takes its toll on communities and finances. Sending students home meant a loss of room and board fees, while the switch to online learning brought additional costs for colleges. The reduced income and extra spending were even more significant for HBCUs. They generally have smaller endowments that can be used as a financial barrier or buffer and also rely more on in-person experiences. Colleges are facing a cash crunch and it could alter campus life. The adjustment has been costly without providing precise figures. Ross estimated the impact of the coronavirus so far on ASU has been in the millions. The legislation made permanent $255 million in annual STEM funding for minorities serving colleges, including roughly $85 million specifically allocated to HBCUs. Tonight, we will have a discussion to address recovery during and after COVID-19 by offering a way to stormproof HBCUs moving forward. My first panelist tonight is the lovely Miss Nina Taylor. Nina, how you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, sir? Wonderful. So glad to have you here. Let me tell you a little bit about Nina Taylor. Nina has a Bachelor's of Science in Broadcast Journalism and Psychology. During her 30 years on radio, Nina became the station promoter and brought many outstanding national gospel artists to Ohio while promoting the radio station. Nina has an international news segment entitled the Gospel News that airs on over 400 stations in the U.S., Canada, United Kingdom, and Africa. Nina can be heard nationally on her show, The Gospel Express, daily on Praise Radio. Nina, let me ask you a question here. Uh, so, so glad to have you here once again. And so as it, as it relates to HBCUs, how can HBCUs stay relevant 
and sustain their sense of pride in the digital age. You know, I thank you so much, and hello to everyone else on the panelists. I'm honored to be here with you all. Uh, first, an HBCU, you have to experience to really understand it. Uh, we have a lot of students that come from other countries uh, to get a quality education at an HBCU. The class sizes are, are small, which is good. Um, I've been in, I've taken summer classes at, uh, at Ohio State University, and I was in a class with 150 students. So the class sizes are smaller because you're not going to have 70, 80,000 kids and, and two and 300 kids per classroom, which is no good, you know. So you get a lot of individualized attention. The extracurricular activities are geared toward our culture, like the band, the music programs, the choirs. Uh, there's, there's something for everyone. Whatever interest you have in your life, you're going to find it at an HBCU. The diversity is unmatched. You have, like I said, students from all over the world coming in, from Haiti, from Africa, from the Caribbean. So you're going to be exposed to a lot of different cultures. Uh, you have a supportive community uh, within the campus area where there's programs for you if you need any type of counseling, uh, medical care. Normally there's a clinic on uh, the campus for just the students. So you have all that kind of support. You also have a, a very strong alumni association, and this is probably one of the main things. I'm a part of the alumni association from my school, Central State University. So a lot of the alumni are very um, active with the school, raising money, helping to build new programs, uh, tending to the need scholarship programs, which are very um, uh, successful at HBCUs. And the Alumni Association also uh, have great resources for networking for students after they become alumni. You know, so there's, there's help beyond uh, just campus life. Once you graduate and get out to the world, uh, those networking opportunities are there for you from other students that were also uh, students at HBCUs. Uh, they also have the long histories and the legacies that stem back from Reconstruction. Most of the schools, a lot of them, started immediately after the ending of slavery. You can't beat that. There's history and culture right there at your fingertips. And they're also motivating us to become not only leaders in the community, but also business owners, you know. And they put inside of you from the first day that you walk on campus that there's nothing that you can't achieve that if you willing to work hard and just do it. That's it. That's what they put in you from day one. And you're not going to get that at a lot of other schools. Nina, as always, you add to this, this podcast. You always add to the discussion. And I want to thank you. I love the way how you tied in tradition to uh, the active alumni association and the legacy that they leave. And it motivates because these cadre are seasoned and they are experienced just like the panelists we have here tonight, the quality that we have here tonight. And, and these teachers, they have that quality they, because you have to go through great rigor to become an educator with HBCUs, I understand. And so I like the way you talked about how the staff exposes culture, exposes diversity, and they all mix it in together to make it harmonious and make it unified. And that's what we're all about. Uh, thank you so much for that response. I want to go to my next guest, Mr. Eric Court. 
Yes, sir, Mr. Drone. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for being here. Let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Eric Court. He's called the hardest working man in education and schools from coast to coast. Court coast to coast classrooms entitled Rebuilding the Writing Foundation Workshop has hit America by storm. Mr. Court has served as a guest faculty member for Harvard University Graduate School of the Education Summer Principals Institute. Attended by some of America's premier principals, Mr. Court has showcased the dynamic strategies of his innovative writing workshop to numerous universities to include Yale, San Francisco State, Rice University, Texas Southern, Tuskegee, DePaul, LSU, St. John, Florida State, and a host of others. So my question to you, sir, is how should HBCUs storm-proof themselves moving forward? Ooh, you're going to give me the question of the night. How do you storm-proof in the name of the show? It's called storm-proofing. Uh, I say in my conversations with you, Cash, when we're on the phone, uh, are lively, and I just hope tonight can just live up to just the, the natural flow of the conversation between me and you. When, when I think storm-proofing, I think it's the most beneficial when we know dark clouds are on the way, right? The fight for dwindling dollars for higher education, big universities may think HBCUs are old school, outdated, and for way back in the day. You see, watch it, Grambling, Texas Southern, and FAMU get special government funding along with Alcorn State and Prairie View. And just because Morehouse College, Spelman, and Clark Universities are former stomping grounds for great legends such as Dr. Martin Luther King, doesn't mean tomorrow's leaders should follow in their dreams by following in his illustrious footsteps when they can stay at home and get the same thing from the University of Phoenix and take online classes to avoid astronomical student debt. Has Bethune-Cookman and Claflin College come to terms with this new reality yet, Pastor Jerome? So, how do we storm-proof? Our historical institutions such as Hampton, Tuskegee, and Tougaloo. If tornadoes of low enrollment are like sudden tsunami waves, can a Hall of Fame coach like Nola Richardson come through and make everyone a winner like he did for the Arkansas Razorbacks back in the day when superstar athletes such as NBA legends like on tonight, Sidney Moncrief, Coach Moncrief, as well as Darrell Walker and Todd Day and Marvin Delt. Carlos Williamson and Ron Brewer and Alvin Robinson, Oliver Miller, Lee Mayberry, and exceptional athletes who are newer, who chose D1 colleges to attend, leaving HBCUs to contend with players passed over by major universities. You see, stormproofing Isaiah Drone means, in the end, you win, and I'm Coach Moncrief will agree with that. When a hurricane is on the horizon, the first thing we do in Texas is secure the windows and strengthen the doors. If HBCUs cannot afford to compensate the best professors, then the water of wasted wisdom and the soft bigotry of low expectations will be left leaking all over the floors. And to answer your question, Isaiah Drone, here is the secret to how to storm-proof HBCUs. Number one, tie the house down with upgraded technology. Number two, Build up school confidence, student confidence with the concrete of compassion. Number three, add impact-resistant storm shutters of one-on-one -on -one mentorships with sturdy walls of great guidance counselors to help keep out the moisture of mediocrity. Number five, number four, elevate, celebrate, and highlight the advantages of students walking down 
our prestigious HBCUs always. Stormproofing is a strong indication, Isaiah, and a self-acknowledgement that we are vulnerable to the winds of change. And finally, number six, our institutions must be versatile and able to readjust expectations and rearrange schedules, visions, and mission statements to acknowledge and keep up with the times. You see, time trends come and go, but it would always be true that a terrible thing to waste is what? The mind. That was once a famous HBCU slogan back in the 50s of, uh, you know, Big C will tell you about that. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. Stormproofing is saying there will be a trouble ahead, so let's be ready just in case. Y'all, we all need to get ready for a rainy day. Or in other words, stormproofing. You are so funny. Okay. Amen. <laughs> but that, amen. Amen to that. Amen to that. And, and you know, you, you tied in you tied in a lot to what Nina was saying. And I want to thank you for the response. Very colorful. Eric Quick, you, you're going to always be entertaining. That's who you are. I mean, you bring so much life to the room. When, whenever you're in the room, you bring, you bring yourself, and, and you're so unique, and you leave a legacy behind, too, because I, I like the way you pointed out we're going to have to get on board and be proficient. And, I mean, you said it all. So let me – I want to thank you again, um, and I want to go to my next – I want to go to my next panelist. Thank you, sir. I want to go to my next panelist, Charles Big C. Carwell. Are you there, sir? Yes, I am, sir. How you doing? How do you do? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Let me tell you a little bit about Charles Big C. Carwell. Uh, he's a motivational speaker, amongst much more. Uh, he's CEO of AdolescenceToAdult.com. Charles Edward Carwell is his name. He's happily married to Robbie with one daughter who graduated from Prairie View A&M University. Charles Edward Carwell is a retired Air Force Master Sergeant of more than 25 years. This man is highly decorated, so much to the point that President Barack Obama wrote him his retirement letter. He, he has created the Man of University in Mansfield ISD. He's an alumni of Phoenix University. Uh, he is certified in behavior management intervention. Uh, this man does it all. And also, to add on to that, he is a professional athlete. <laughs> he has played with the likes of Cindy Moncrief, who's on here tonight. He has mentored countless, countless men, young men and young women through his motivational speaking events. He has worked alongside with world-famous boxer Evander Holyfield, The Real Deal. And so I am just so thrilled for him to be here tonight. Sir, my question for you is, and I know you're going to answer this question in integrity, what should be demanded for the recovery of HBCUs moving forward? Okay, uh, ID3, I did a little homework, uh, you know, previously before we came on tonight, and I'd like to discuss uh, some information that I retrieved from the uh, Washington Post. As we all know, there was a $2 trillion uh, federal relief package that was released in March. And since we're speaking on education, $30 billion of that will go to education, and uh, the institution of higher education would get about $14.3 billion. Of that 14.3 billion, HBCUs would get about 10%, which is about 1.4 billion, and that has to be, you know, spread out with the colleges, the universities, the grants, and etc. And let me come up with a, a cliche that the New York Times published during the Great Recession in 2008. 
It states when America catches a cold, African Americans catch the flu. So what I'm saying is that even though this money is being released because we're in a crisis, HBCUs are already behind the curve. So whatever money we're going to get to relief, we're still in a hole. You know, and, and as, you know, Mina said, Mina said earlier, and Eric spoke on it, you know, we had to, we had to release the kids. There's no dorm money, room and board. We got to pay that money back. You know, uh, sports was being, you know, canceled, so they can't bring in any revenue. And then as a matter of fact, most HBCUs don't have the technology to expand, you know, to go online. You know, 75% of students who attend HBCUs are on the Pell Grant. So if they're having to come home, a lot of them don't have personal computers, a lot of them don't have Wi-Fi accessibility, and then you only have a few HBCUs that have the technology to offer online classes. So now that I have that out there, let me put down some ideas of suggestions of how we can move forward and recover. The first thing I suggest is that we go out and we make sure everybody understands what it calls debt forgiveness. You know, it's uh, you have debt forgiveness, you have student loan forgiveness, you also have debt cancellation, debt discharge. Those three basically mean the same thing, but it depends on your circumstances. For example, debt forgiveness, if you lose your job, cancellation happens if you are disabled, you know, and et cetera, so forth. You can go to consumercredit.com and you can get free credit counseling you know, and I recommend that to all students, not just HBCUs, but specifically the HBCU students that are in these type of situations because they had to drop out of school, you know, they may not be able to afford to, to move forward. So in order for us to recover, we can ask for that student loan forgiveness act. We can go through the, we can ask for cancellation, we can ask for discharge, whichever one is appropriate for your situation. And uh, I'd like to speak on a situation Bethune Cookman got caught up in, they had just built brand new dorms down there, spent $306 million. Now, nobody's in the dorm, so they gotta repay that back. So my suggestion to HBCUs, but doing Cookman specifically, go apply for the Student Loan Forgiveness Act, apply for the debt forgiveness or the cancellation, and everybody knows we're in a crisis. So in order to recover, we gotta get out of the, get out of the, the, the ditch. You know, we gotta, we gotta come out of the hole, and when we come out of this hole, we gotta cover it up. How do we cover that, that hole up so we don't fall back in the same ditch again? Well, my first suggestion, and I got this from my, from my pastor, Dr. Michael e. Evans, who's very specific in education and leadership, we need to start supporting HBCUs, i.e. alumni. You know, if you're an alumni of an HBCU, give back. You know, we, we got, you know, about 12% of, you know, America is African-American, if you will, and, you know, about four to five million of us are educated. We have a bachelor's degree, and some of us, about a million, I think three million plus have bachelor's degrees in America, mostly women, and then about a million of us have master's degrees or higher, about 150,000 a little bit higher. But if all of us would just get back $100 a month, you got one million people giving back $100 a month, 100 million. Two million people, do the math. That's how we can recover. And if we're going to support HBCUs, we have to start by covering up the ditches. We got to cover the ditches up by donating. People make the world go around. Money makes it easier. So without resources, it's hard to do anything. And as we already know, all colleges are suffering now. But you, as I said earlier, when America catches a cold, African-American HBCUs got the flu. So it's going to hurt us. It's going to hurt us harder than anybody else. So we want to recover. Let's get involved.
let's start donating. Let's make recommendations. And those three things that I, I talked about, debt forgiveness, debt cancellation, uh, discharge, you can go to consumercredit.com and you can get free credit counseling and I hope the whole world hears this and go and apply. And that's my word. Big C, you are so motivated. Let me tell you what the topic is one more time before I start talking about what we just heard. The topic is stormproofing historically black colleges and universities. Now, Big C, that was so much, man, I almost started crying because you gave us a way to prevent negative outcomes. I heard so much confidence. I heard so much character and I heard connection, the way you connected with the situation, the way you bonded with the people, the way you bonded with the institutions, and you gave them from your perspective, which I thought was a very good perspective, hey, these are some of the things we need to do, these are some of the things we need to look at, and we need to come together, we need to unify as a minority, as African Americans, so that we can, we can survive, we can, we can have our legacy survive, we can have HBCs survive, right? And so, thank you so much for that powerful response, sir. Appreciate you. Next, we're so privileged to have the Honorable, I almost said doctor, but we almost, I can say that, Dr. Coach Cindy Muncree. So please say hello to the people, sir. Hello, how are we doing today? My wife, she's close to her doctoral degree, so I guess I'm going to take some credit for being a doctor. I'm a coach before I'm a doctor. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let me tell you just a little bit about uh, Mr. Cindy Murphy. There's books written about him, and so, you know, we can talk about him the whole night uh, long, but uh, just a little bit, just a little snippet. Uh, Mr. Cindy Muncree, Coach Cindy Muncree, is an American former professional basketball player, a uh, NCAA college basketball player from 1975 to 1979. He played for University of Arkansas Razorbacks, leading them to the 1978 Final Four and a win in the NCAA as well uh, when they played against Notre Dame. Uh, he is nicknamed Sid, he's nicknamed Sir Sid and L Sid. Uh, Mr. Murphy went on to play for the NBA, National Basketball Association, uh, for 10 seasons with the famous Milwaukee Bucks. He is a five-time NBA All-Star and won the first two NBA Defensive Player of the Year awards in 1983 and 1984. Uh, he is also a Hall of Famer. I think they inducted you last year, right, sir? Uh, yes, last year. And so we are just, we're proud of you, sir. I mean, you've given back to your community. I've seen you as a child coming to the community. And so, I mean, you're just a real stand-up guy. And um, I thank you for your service and your continued service. I'm just honored to have you here. And with that being said, let me ask you a question. What are some of the things HBCUs need to lose and need to keep that will combine experience in sports business, leadership, and education moving forward? That's my question, sir. All right, well, first of all, the, the panelists, I'm very impressed with you guys' insight. You certainly helped me in a number of ways just being here, listening to what you have to say. It's amazing how so many people do amazing things. Everyone on this panel has been so accomplished. You're impacting people. Sometimes athletes, we get a little too much credit because we're more visible. But let's not ever forget that it takes everyone to build our communities and to build our schools. 
So thank you all for being on the panel. Thank you for the, for the insight you've given me. I'm going to answer this question in a number of different ways. So first of all, I'm going to say one thing HBCUs must do is reinvent, innovate, and collaborate. The way things used to be done, the way the world has changed, even before COVID-19, the world was changing. Schools were changing, universities were changing, online learning was becoming a hot topic, and, and some of these schools were suffering. My challenge to HBCUs is, and Eric, you can appreciate this, Nina, Charles, uh, I run a business, we do professional development. We work with schools and nonprofit governmental agencies, and I have a simple philosophy. I have to chase the funding. I have to chase the funding. So if I'm trying to initiate a program, I have to go to where the funding is. I think HBCUs need to start doing a better job of tracking where their jobs are. And that's where the innovation, I mean, the reinvention to probably come in. We have to look at what jobs are available, not only now, but 20 years from now. Then we must, we must, must align our curriculum, our degree program to track those jobs. I'm going to give you two things, AI, artificial intelligence, IQ, you know what that is and EQ. Right now, the job market is a huge battle with emotional, I'm sorry, with artificial intelligence. Some jobs that we used to be very desirable will disappear in 15 to 20 years. I'm going to give you a couple of stats real quickly, it's going to shock you, that I was looking at job postings for the Atlanta region, and they posted a 15 different jobs, and of 15 jobs posted, Isaiah, how many of you think were IT-type jobs of the 15? One or two? Yeah, five. Five different, five. Five out of 15. Of the 20 top 10 jobs in our country, how many were technology jobs? Six. All of them? Oh. No, six. So here's my first point. Although technology is the future of our country, technology is not the only job opportunities that are available for college graduates. The reinvention, innovation, and collaboration philosophy, I think, will put more focus on the fact that medical care, as we know, health care, education, and sales are very viable job opportunities for college students, and they're going to be here for a long period of time. So I really think that leadership must take a wider view of how can we prepare these students moving forward. One thing that HBCUs have done very well, and I would encouraging to do more of it is it's a very nurturing environment. It's a teaching environment. It's a character-driven environment. The way our society is evolving 
emotional intelligence, the five components of emotional intelligence, will drive your opportunity for the limited amount of jobs involving people moving forward. So I would encourage the universities, HBCUs, to put more emphasis on the development of the self-awareness, the empathy, the self-regulation, the motivation discipline, and the social skills with their students. Once these universities realize we need to reinvent, we need to collaborate better, and we need to innovate, then I think they will be positioned to do very well moving forward. Mr. Putri, that was powerful. You talked about a lot of things. Uh, I want to hone in on two of them. To me, you talked about being having leadership being technology-based, right? So that so that people can work remotely and so that they can be up to standard as it relates to being innovative and working in the, in the digital world now because we're moving into a digital world where you have artificial intelligence and your IQ is now have to be mixed in with that but then you also have to be you also have to have emotional intelligence as well so you have to have social emotional intelligence so you can manage your social interaction right and so you nailed it because you tied it into being healthy and being healthy psychologically so you now have to be psychologically healthy right along with being smart along with being innovative and knowing technology and being technically savvy and so <laughs> mr mccree i just love the way you have just kept yourself uh involved in the community you kept yourself involved in education you kept yourself up to date sir how do you do it how do you keep yourself up to date like you've been doing sir it's part of my professional posture simply because my primary responsibility is developing people. I how can I develop people if I'm not on top of my game? So I get all the fees that I can on emotional intelligence. I get all the fees I can in workplace readiness. I get all the fees I can in emotional uh, on the EQ, and I just love to develop and help people. That's what I'm. That's what I'm all about. And I love doing it. I really do. And one other point I want to make real quickly, because you brought it up, uh, there will be less jobs, we all know that. Even before COVID-19, they were predicting that, that AI could take up to 55 million jobs within the next 20 years, which means less jobs. And the other thing I want to say, which means more entrepreneurship. So we need to also do a better job at the HBCU of developing entrepreneurs that can make their own way and create opportunities so they can help us. Yes, talk to me. Howdy three, I'd like to I'd like to say something in Sydney's in Sydney's behalf as a former athlete myself. I don't know how many I don't know how many professional athletes that was drafted in whatever sports they played with a college degree, but Sydney Moncrief was one of those athletes. I just wanted to put that in there. He no, it needs to be said. College. Yes, it needs, I'm going to put yeah. that in there. Yeah, it, it needs to be said. And, and again, we're so, my God, I'm I'm so privileged to have each and every one of you on the panel tonight. Uh, when Mr. Muncrie was talking, he, he reminded me of a leader from this movie. And and these types of leaders, it's almost like they're extinct now in education. But, and I know, Nina, I gotta, I gotta ask you this next question. But it's, it's almost like they're extinct now uh, in education. They, they're so rare. 
they're they're so rare. There there was this movie, uh, movie called Lean on Me. And so, Nina, let me let me just ask you a question. Why why was the movie? And I know I'm catch you off guard here. Why was the movie Lean on Me so important for education? That's funny because it was just on the other night. Uh, Joe Clark and I remember he was um, he did an interview after the movie had came out. It was like years ago. I remember uh, our program director interviewing him. But why was it important? I think. Um, he showed that one person can make a difference. He came into the school, he didn't know anybody. Uh, he came to Patterson, New Jersey, to the worst school in that city, in that area, and he took charge. And he showed that he wasn't afraid to take on you know, a bad situation, bad kids. He removed the problems and improved on what he could. So I think the main thing is, yeah, one person can make a difference. And look at how many lives that he touched and changed and made better because of uh, he wasn't afraid to take a stand, you know, showing up with a bullhorn and screaming and hollering at everybody every day and uh, carrying a baseball bat around and not afraid to use it. And I think he just proved that, you know, yes, I'm only one person, but one person can make a difference. See, I know somebody else would want to come in on that. Why was the movie Lean On Me so important for education? Go ahead. If I'm not mistaken, didn't he shut the gym down because the grades started slacking? Didn't he put a lock on the gym and put a chain around it? Didn't he do that? <laughs> you saw the gym. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm saying. And see, that will prohibit a lot of jocks. You know, because a lot of kids, you know, either want to go pro in sports or they want to be a rapper. So when you take that athletic facility away from them, you take that gym away from them, the football field, track, whatever it is, nowadays it's a cell phone, but that's a new millennium. But when you take away that sport and say, listen, if you don't get your grades up, you're not playing. You know, and I can tell you back in the day, athletes was not, if you was a good athlete, was, your, your education, your academics wasn't as uh, demanding. I'm just going to say that politically correct. Y'all know what I'm saying, because I know some guys that got into the pros and were signing their checks mm -hmm. with an ex. We ain't going to call no names, but y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Stop talking about the big C. Stop talking about the big C. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you put an S. You put two S's for Super C. <laughs> oh, my. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Who wants to go next? Who wants to go next on that question? Why was the movie Lean on Me so important for education? Thank you, thank you, Big C. That was a beautiful response. Go ahead. I always defer to, to greatness. Go ahead, Mr. Parker. Well, we're, we both work with schools, and so does everyone else here. And, and the biggest issue I see with schools, I have a, we have a number of clients, elementary schools, we have, we have colleges, high schools, high schools. And the biggest issue I see that Joe Clark really, uh, he honed in on, is the accountability and the high expectations of the students. He has high expectations of the students, of the teachers, regarding of their financial conditions, their poverty, their parental upbringing, he had and set high expectations across the board. And because he set the high expectations and demanded more, everyone gave him more. 
And that's the beauty of that movie, that one person can make a difference. And that when you set high expectations, individuals will rise up. Students will rise to the level of your expectations, but they'll also sink to the level of your expectations. And so the movie Lean On Me, interesting that, you know, there's a very spontaneous conversation because when I think about that, I think the first thing I thought about was school pride and them singing the school song in the restroom. You know, East Side High made the boys sing there first, but it became a school pride thing. And I've seen that actually with my own eyes at a school called Imhotep Academy where these students were in Philadelphia were the lowest of the low, and they came to the school and they came through a lottery system. So they had the lowest schools from all around. These schools, for 10 years in a row, they had 100% graduation. 10 years in a row, every student who graduated went to college. 100% of the students went to college. And this was almost unheard of in Philadelphia. And they went, ended up winning the state championship in basketball, but they were having summa cum laude AP graduate. What they had, Mr. Moncrie, high expectations by their principal. They walked in and said, no, 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 no. They had so much school pride. When you talk about lean on me, Girls were not even allowed to touch the doorknobs barely. Boys opened doors for the girls. If somebody new came to the school and they threw a bubblegum wrapper on the floor, no, 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 no. We don't do that here at our school. So a school pride. And so we talk about HBCUs tonight and stormproofing HBCUs. There used to be a time when there was, a, uh, there was pride. I go to Prairie View. I go to Tuskegee. I go to Bethune, Howard University. And you have all that. And so now things have changed now because of technology. Listen, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us tonight on this panel discussion, the Impact Education Leadership. I'm your host, ID34, Isaiah Jones III. Good night. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting.